There are some things I want to make you see properly from scripture so that you should be able to apply yourself, commit yourself to practice and as you practice with an understanding. When you practice with an understanding, fruit is produced because an understanding synonymous to a revelation. That which is revealed to you becomes an understanding. Everybody that we know struggling to if I may use the word, permit me, to survive, to have some breakthrough financially in life. And we do understand that the principles of the world are not the same with the principles of the kingdom in every area of our lives. Surviving in the world is completely different from surviving in the kingdom. Amen? And the Bible have already told us that we don't need to bother about what we eat or drink. In other words, we don't live under anxiety. And there are things we need to do that will lead us or produce for us what God has intended from the foundation of the world. So in these uh, three days, we're going to be looking at this um, study on dimension of giving, giving being one of the aspects that God has really, really ordained for us to overcome the power and the spirit and the stronghold of poverty. Giving is the major key. You can't outgive God in any way. And you can't even overgive by implication, say, I've given so much, therefore you can't give any more. No. There is always room for giving. And there is always blessings attached to the giving as it is released. Amen? But let's begin to look at a few scriptures first before we go fully into dimensions of giving. Can we turn to Psalm 35, verse 7? Psalm 35, verse 7. Oh, 27, I'm sorry. 35, 27. It says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteousness or righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually. Are we together? Psalm 35, 27. Let them say continually. Let the Lord be magnified which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. In other words, God delights in his sons prospering. Hallelujah. He said he delights or he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. In other words, when God's children prospers, it's a joyful thing to him. It makes him happy when you are prospering. And so he takes pleasure in ensuring that you prosper. Hallelujah. 
Even in the natural, when your son is doing well, you are happy. Am I right? Even so. So God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. By implication, we go by this scripture. There is no delight in the heart of God when his church or his people are not doing well. So the theology that says that poverty is a sign of humility and righteousness is not absolutely true. Amen? Hallelujah. A man can be rich and still be humble. Am I right? If we will go by the Christ's own pattern, he was so rich, yet he was humbled. Because he had all things. Okay. Now turn again to Psalm 147, verse number 7. Psalm 147, verse number 7. We'll read up to verse 9. Psalm 147, 7 to 9. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Who covered the heavens with clouds. Who prepared rain for the earth. Who maketh grass to grow up on the mountains? He giveth to the beasts his food, and to the young ravens which cry. I want you to see this. He delighted not in the strength of the horse. He taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. Now I want you to look at verse 8 and 9. He covered the heaven with clouds. He prepared rain for the earth. What does the rain do when it falls upon the earth? He made the grass to grow. Amen? Who make that grass to grow upon the mountains? He giveth to the beast his food. And to the young ravines, which does what? Which cry. In other words, God's blessings is in his hands to give to even those who cry. If I may use the word. But by implication, he's feeding even the beasts of the field. How much more you, wise sons? And then when he gets down to verse 9, he said, He giveth to the beasts his food, and to the young ravens which cry. The verse 10 says, He taketh not, and he delighted not in the strength of the horse. He taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. What he means to say is, God is not so much interested in blessing you through cunning devices or your own strength. Hallelujah. It is not how prepared you are, in quotes, or how much struggles you can put in, or how much effort you can put in, that brings you to prosperity. He said he doesn't, listen, he gives food to the young gravings. He causes the rain to fall. He causes the grass to grow on the mountain. Are you getting that? But he said, the verse 10 says, he delighted not in the strength of the horse. And you know how people always prepare the horse for battle. Are you getting that? The horse speaks of strength, it speaks of power. God is saying, your success is his delight. But it is no true effort that you become a prosperous man. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Then the next line says, he taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, you don't get through the top through bribery or corruption. Haven't you heard people say this man has long leg? 
Long life means you know how to maneuver your way through, man. You understand that? In other words, your prosperity does not depend on human beings. So you're not going to prosper through craftiness. That's what he's saying. He doesn't take delight or take pleasure in the legs of a man. Just like he doesn't take delight in you struggling to survive, he doesn't also take delight in you going through people cunningly to get to the top. Did you get that? But don't you forget, he takes pleasure in the prosperity of who? Of his servant. And I want you to understand that. He wants his servant to prosper. But the prosperity of his servant is not tied to human struggle or human cunning devices. But all the same, he wants you to prosper. Amen? So, how are we going to prosper when it's not going to be true struggles? How are we going to prosper when it's not going to be true divine cunning craftiness going through men, through bribery, through sending some halt on big or fat envelopes or something like that? Because you say you don't take delight in the legs of a man. How are we going to prosper? That's a question. So all of these three days, we're going to be looking at areas by which God is intending for us to function in, and then prosperity will come our way. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. Now you go down to Psalm 50 again. David spoke so much on all of these things. Let's get on to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, uh, I look at verse 5. Praise the Lord. Look at Psalm 50, verse 5. Okay. Are we together? Gather my saints together unto me. Those that have made a covenant with me by what? Sacrifice. Gather my saints. There are some people that God is inviting, is looking for. Those who have made a covenant with him to sacrifice. <laughs> the word made in the original Hebrew means to cut. Those who have cut a covenant with me through sacrifice. So one of the ways that you enter into a covenant with God is not just simply believing in, this, in the sacrifice of Jesus. That is very crucial and very important. But you have to cut a covenant with God through what? Through sacrifice. Now, one of the ways, a typical example is when Abraham, we go to Genesis, I think uh, 15 or thereabout, about 25. Abraham, 15 in particular, you know, we are told he brought all his animals and he opened them up until the evening sacrifice. And the fire came and passed between those sacrifices. Can you get that? Good. That is cutting a covenant with God. In other words, the sacrifices you bring, God have to consume it. God have to devour it. But a covenant can only be established as you cut it with the Lord. In other words, there is an acceptable sacrifice that his glory passes through. Are you following this? Because when Abraham brought those animals or the bears, split them into two, opened them up, if I were told that when the bears of the air would come, Abraham would drive them away. Remember that? 
until in the evening sacrifice and the glory of God passed between those sacrifices. That was the beginning of God coming into covenant with Abraham and making a promise of his children are going to be in Egypt. They are going to suffer for this number of years and he was going to bring them back again and then was going to bless them. Remember that? Amen. That's how to call the covenant with God. Now the question is for you and I, is God expecting us to go and bring some animals and see them eat it too? That's a question. So how do we cut a covenant with God? Praise the living God. <laughs> Are you getting it now? Yeah. Since God is not expecting to bring tortoise dough, bring some gold, bring some sheep, but yet we need to cut a covenant because he's saying he says you come to him who have entered into a covenant with him by sacrifice. How are we going to do that? It's only through this dimension that I'm about to explain. Is that okay? All right. But again, let's read something which is to me very important. Turn with me to the book of Job, Job 36. Job 36. This scripture is very, very important. Job 36. Hallelujah. I'm reading from verse number. Okay, it's five now, six. Let's see, five. Don't anyway. Five. Let's start from verse number five. Job 36 from verse number five. Are we there together? Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Verse 6. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever. And they are exalted. Now verse 8. And if they be bound the fetters. Who are the they? The righteous. Are you still following me? Verse 7. Listen to it. Verse 7 says. He would dread not his eyes from which people? The righteous. But with the king are they. Who are the they? The righteous. On the throne. Yea he doth establish them. Who are the them? The righteous. Forever. And they, the righteous are what? Exalted. Very good. Now verse 8. And if they be bound, who are the they now? The righteous in fetters and beholding the court of affliction. Now you begin to see that. It means you can be a righteous man to be bound. Did you get that? And one of the ways by which we are bound, I believe, is poverty. You can be a righteous man and still be poor. <laughs> Did you get that? Okay. Yes, you are. You got the righteousness of Christ. We have the imputation of God's righteousness. We are righteous people. But it's not a guarantee that because we are righteous, we can be bound. Here the Bible says, If they be bound in fetters and beholding cause of affliction, afflictions and things like that, then look at verse 9. He, God, will show them their work and the transgressions that they have exceeded. In other words, they go beyond bound. Is that okay? He opened also their ears to discipline, which has to do with instruction, 
and commanded that they return from iniquity, lawlessness. Did you follow that? Now, see, the verse 10 and 11 is trying to give you an answer to verse number what? Number 8. If they be bound, if they be found in the cause of affliction, now he's trying to give you solution to your being bound. Are you still there with me? Okay. He opened it, verse 10 again, he opened it also their ears to discipline, which are to do with instruction, and commanded that they should return from iniquity, which means lawlessness. In other words, he who lives his life without guidance and principles, though you are a righteous man, you can still be bound. Amen? And verse 11 says, And if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in what? And their years in what? Very good. If they should obey the discipline, which I do with the instruction, that he is going to give to them. Because he found that they are bound, they are righteous people, out of his love, now he wants to instruct them in the way that they should live their life. Not to live it in iniquity, which has to do with lawlessness. He wants to bring some guiding principles that they must operate. And if they obey these principles, they are going to spend their days in prosperity and their years in what? In pleasure. Hallelujah. Is that okay? Did you get that? Okay. So basically, the plan of God is that we succeed. The plan of God is that we live in pleasure. The plan of God is that we live in prosperity. That is God's mind for his people. Amen? And don't forget the scripture we read before. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Did he say so? Good. He takes pleasure. Now, how is going to make you succeed? These are the things we want to look into. So, uh, we have to see from what we just read that though you may be a righteous man, that doesn't exclude you from being bound if you're not living by certain specific principles that God has put in place. In other words, God's discipline, which has to do with instruction, is to turn you away from iniquity, which has to do with lawlessness, to begin to abide by the laws of God, and in so doing, you come to the place of prosperity because he has determined that you live your life in pleasure and in prosperity, and then, in all the days of your life, he wants you to live happily, joyfully. Don't forget what we read in the book of Psalm 147. He doesn't delight in the legs of a man. He doesn't take pleasure in horses. How many of you remember that? So it's not by struggles that he wants you to prosper. You have to prosper not through struggling. Is that okay? Hallelujah. You have to enjoy your days upon this face of the earth, not through struggling and not through people. As you connect to people, what I mean is trying to find means of survival through people. That's why I say it does not take delight in the legs of a man. Mm. Hallelujah. Okay. So, I would like us to begin to understand this thing because it's very crucial. Um, God helping us, we intended to bring this out in the book form, but like I often say, the laborer is worthy of wages, and then he would labor on the farm must try to be particulars of the harvest. So before this material will go into the body of Christ, as we're going to be studying, I really want you to first have it firsthand before it goes out. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Um, I would like us to look at something again in Psalm, one, Psalm 44, verse number 1 to 3. 
Psalm 44, 1 and 3. I don't read from verse 2 when it says, How did I drive out the habit heaven by the, by, with the hand and uh, planted them, talking about Israel, how thou didst have flogged the people and cast them out? For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But their right hand and thy arm and the light of thy countenance. Because thou had favor unto them. Amen. Here the Bible is saying. The children of Israel did not possess Canaan. Because they could fight very well. Hmm? Amen. Not because they could fight very well, not because they have enough strength more than the rest of the people, not because there are weapons of war we are stronger than those of the enemy. But the Bible says God gave them favor. And then he did all of that for them with his right hand. So there is a place in God that by the time you find God's favor through your services and sacrifices, the things that you are supposed to possess, you possess without struggling. Hallelujah. The promises could be there for you. You may not be able to enter into those promises until you begin to walk inside the dimension of relationship to God and then you find God's favor. And when you find his favor, he releases his arm unto you. That the arm of the Lord, his right hand, will begin to walk effectually on your behalf. Whatever thing you touch this time prospers even without you struggling to make it to prosper. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Hallelujah. But Canaan got the land not because they struggled so much, not because of anything, but because they find favor. Amen? So God's favor upon the life of a man can produce so much a great difference in a man's life. Praise the living God. Alright? Still want us to deal with a few things before we go fully into dimensions. Can we look at Proverbs 16, verse number 7? Laying foundation for these three days of our coming here to dine together. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's way pleases the Lord, what does he do? He maketh even his enemies to be what? At peace with him. So, there is no devil. I can stop your business from prospering. There is no devil that can stop your life from moving forward. There is no devil that can stop you. There is no devil. It's not created anywhere. It's not living anywhere. When your way does what? Please the Lord. No devil in the universe. It's not found anywhere. You don't even need to bind anything in that regard. All you must think about is to consider your ways. That's why they said, He will give you discipline so that He will turn you away from what? Iniquity. When you get out of lawlessness and your way begins to please the Lord, you find favor. And your enemies, I believe, will also turn their back on you. In fact, it is most glorious that you prosper in the midst of your enemy. So that they can see what the right hand and the power of God can do. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
When your way please the Lord, it make it even your enemies to be at peace with you. In fact, this scripture has always been a guide in my life. That is why I don't pray certain prayers that people pray. Because I believe that what is important between me and God is just my way to God. I don't believe there's an enemy anywhere in the universe that can destroy my life or destroy what God is actually doing. Are you still there with me? I can only think about my ways. If I'm wrong, I go back to him and say, God, forgive me. It's as simple as that. My way is what is important, not what the devil wants to do. The devil can try to do whatever he wants to do, but if my way please the Lord, it will turn their back on me. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, if I may use that and point out something to you. The Bible tells us that Solomon had peace all around him. He fought no single war. Did the Bible say so? Why will all the enemies that were fighting Israel stop fighting the of Solomon? You need to understand how Solomon started his ministry, if you will. In 1 Kings chapter 3. How did he start with? He started with sacrifice. Can you remember that? He started with sacrifice. Thousands of burnt offerings. He pulled down God from heaven to begin to converse with him. What do you want with this thing you are doing? It's like saying, hey Solomon, you finish me. What can I do now? You, you just embarrass me with your, with your gift. So where do I go from here? Now tell me what you want. That's how he started his work. And because the ways of Solomon pleased the Lord, he made even his enemies to be at peace with him all around. The Bible says he had all peace all around. Hallelujah. When a man's way pleased the Lord, he made even his enemies to be at peace with him. Praise the living God. Therefore, the key is in our ways of life, not seeking other means or always thinking that one enemy is too strong to stand on our way of success in life. I don't believe that. I'm not saying there are no enemies, but I'm saying whatever enemies there be, they can stand on your way of success if your way is pleasing to the Lord. And the good news about it is God is interested and he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Hallelujah. So what we're about to present to you here as the invention of giving it's in direct connection to the kind of sacrifices that you can make to draw God's attention, to bring down his glory, his favor, that even if there be an enemy that is standing on your way, they shall finally be at peace with you. Hallelujah. Because God wants you to do what? To succeed. So, talking about economies, which has to do with the major means our principle of God's economy, like I said before, is in giving. In fact, the Bible says, it's more blessed to give than to do what? Than to receive. Amen? There are dimensions of giving, but we're going to give attention to financial aspect, basically, of giving. Uh, some of us understand that giving is in various forms. So sometimes when we do one, we think that we have done it all. For instance, those who pay tithe, sometimes think they can't do anything again. You pay your tithe, and then your poor brother is suffering. Therefore, you can't do anything because you paid your tithe. That's not true. Amen? Or I would say, well, I'm a philanthropist, so I don't pay tithe. 
That also is not true. Or that say, you can see what I'm doing for God. Fine. But I want to make you see how God sees every aspect of your giving financially. That all the dimensions we're going to be looking into attract their own specific blessings to your life. Hallelujah. Okay. First of all, I want you to understand this. Before we go into the dimension proper, let's look first of all at the benefit of giving. The benefit of giving. Amen. I want us to see some good benefit. Praise the Lord. Now, if you look at uh, Proverbs 18, verse 16, you may not you just write it down. Then I read. The Bible says, Man's gift make room for him and bring it in before great men. So that means there is an opening that goes with a Libra man. Somebody who is Libra. There is a kind of door that opens for the person continually. Hallelujah. It makes room. It's not just talking of opening this door, for instance. The gift of a man maketh room for him, bring him before great men. It will not sit along mere men. It's an indication that you start small, but you expand on the other side. To me, it's like a pyramid turned upside down. When you say makes room, that means you're going like this and it's expanding into a kind of V-shape for you. There is always a door open for you by reason of your gift. Praise the living God. Everything you give opens a door. That's what I'm trying to say. So I want you to understand that because it's very important. Amen? In Luke 6, verse 38, I just want to be dealing with benefit of giving, but I need to read the scriptures. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaking together, and running over, shall men, if you have your Bible, underline that, give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you met without, it shall be measured to you again. I want you to see that, to me, it's very important. Who is going to give to you? Men. See, you give to God. God caused men to give to you. Hallelujah. By implication, if you connect this to Proverbs 18, you see exactly what we say. The gift of man makes room for him and brings him before great men, not mere men. Meaning, your gift will cause people to look to you. In other words, you find favor in the sight of men by reason of your giving. Are you sitting there with me? The word bosom must be understood. In the early times, they don't have what we call banking system like we have today. The bosom is like 
a big bag. Okay, let me use. Uh, we are here in Nigeria. You can understand. You know Agbada now. Agbada. They, okay, you know Agbada. Is that not true? Or Shokoto. You know Shokoto. You know Shokoto have almost uh, some big pockets attached to it. Okay, from those things, they are just exactly what we call bosom. That is where people put their treasure. That's where they put their money. Is that okay? So they go with the treasure. They go with the bosom, as in case maybe now. But God is saying, men will give into your bosom. Now, if bosom was your storage house, what is your storage house today? Your banking account. Are you following what I'm talking about? So, when God is saying, when you give, God will give to your bosom, it means they'll bring treasures to your treasure house because you are a giver. So now, you do know, and I know, that our treasure house today is our bank account. So if we want our bank account to also rise, God is challenging us to become what? Givers. Did you get that? How many of you have lived your life to the point where one day somebody called you just to bless you? I mean, it shouldn't be a strange thing. It should be a normal thing. Why? Because God will cause men to favor you. Hallelujah. Everything you ever own in life must not be what you struggle to buy. I would like somebody to say, God forbid. <laughs> that everything you ever own in your life is what you must struggle to buy. That is not the right way to live. No, 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 no. It shouldn't be. Where are the men? There are men that God must commission. <laughs> Glory to God. Give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, praise down and shaking together and running over shall men give to your bosom. God is talking, but he removed himself and bring the source. Listen to me. Yes, there was a time of raving, but God wants to use men, not just raving. That's what I'm saying. You can't outgive God. Because the more you put what we're about to discuss into practice, the more you see people rolling down your way with what they are supposed to be blessing you with. As God spoke to Raven, so shall he talk to men. Hallelujah. We're still waiting for a wonderful testimony in this place. A young man was to attend an interview in this place. And that's a man that practiced part of this principle I'm talking about. I remember one time sending me a check of 5,000. Young boy in this church. I saw the check. I couldn't believe it. And it was supposed that the, the, the interview wasn't going to take place. He was away from the city. He got a phone call. Hit back on the road. Got to the place. Long queue. Was standing on the queue. They called his name from behind. Come this way and attend the interview. People were there before he got there. He got and attended the interview before those people came out. He left the place leaving people there. Your name will be at the top. See... <laughs> Giving produces results. Amazing results. Amazing.
pleasing result is what I'm telling you. It does produce. Learn to be a giver. May this seminar open you up to enter into the treasures that God has ordained for your life. Men shall give to your bosom. Hallelujah. Okay. I just like this. In other words, your faith is not complete until, because you see, we've already been told that God takes delight in the prosperity of his servant. I want to keep on repeating that. God has already told us that. How is he going to bring it to pass? It's going to be true man. How will it be that man will call you, come and do this job for us? You're in business, you're in contract. Come and do this job for us. Can you handle this job? Men should be able to call you. Am I talking to somebody? In your area, in your specialization, you should be able to get contract that you didn't even bid for. You should be able to get them. Because God wants to prosper you. He is interested in the prosperity of his servant. He's interested in the prosperity of his servant. I keep on repeating. And he's going to use men to do that. Somebody will have to be favored. <laughs> that even what you are not trained for, they will call you to come and execute it. You have to look for somebody to do it. Am I talking to somebody here? You handle jobs that you were not trained for. Because Joseph didn't go to any economic school before he became the the the, the bank manager or the, the president of the of the central bank of Egypt. Am I talking to somebody? He didn't go and study economics. Huh? But they have more than enough certificate to manage the economy of Egypt. You will be called for jobs that you didn't bid for. You will be called for jobs that you didn't know anything about. Because he's interested in the prosperity of his servants. Hallelujah. So, don't forget the issue of the word bosom. Hmm? It's your bank account. Am I right? Yeah. Just like bosom was the medium by which Today, the bosom is your bank account. And I decree from this moment that your bank account will never be in the red. No matter how small. Never a day in your history as you grow up to know the Lord that your bank account will be in the red. Never. We abolish that in the name of Jesus Christ. It may be small, but never in the red. <laughs> Are you still there? Because you know the principle is found in the book of Leviticus. He said the new harvest will come and meet the old one. You can never finish the old one before the new one comes. So you will never finish spending your money before another one is brought into the account. Look at your checkbook. The place is the red. That is the past thing now. It can never happen again. We're entering another season. Hallelujah. Okay. Now that connects me to something. Let's begin to look at the benefit of giving. One, it gives wisdom to overcome debt. It gives wisdom to overcome debt. 
Remember Job 36 tells us something. You may be a righteous man, but you could be bound in fetters and in the cause of affliction. How many of you remember that? Okay. So if you're bound in fetters, it could mean you are in debt. But there is going to be a place for wisdom to overcome indebtedness. That you should enjoy. Listen, if you're in debt, you won't be happy. <laughs> Amen. There is no joy in being indebted. When people come knocking on your door, you don't enjoy that. Praise the living God. Amen. I want to say this. You must come into the season in your life that when people, when you call people's phone, they will not want to off it because they see your name. Do you know what I'm talking about? This man is calling again. That must not be your portion. It is you that will determine who to answer and who not to answer. We are reversing that order. <laughs> See, this man not pick my phone again. Why will he pick your phone? When he know that when you ask, when he answers the phone, you are going to ask for money. Huh? That is why they don't want to pick your phone. But that order have changed. It must change. You will be the one to determine whose phone to answer. Hallelujah. Let's look at First King chapter 17. It's a long reading, so I'm just going to give you the story. 7 to 16, just write it down. But we'll read all of that. I'm just going to read verse 7 to 9. Anyway, this is the story. Elijah was moving into the city that God commanded him and said, uh, go to a city, city of the Zarephite. Okay? All right. And, uh, but I love verse 16. It says something. Very interesting thing if you look at that. Okay, let's just look at verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephite, which belongeth to Zidon. And where they are, behold, I have commanded the widow woman there to do what? To sustain thee. This when the brook where he was drinking for was dry. Is that okay? He said, now you go to the widow. Now there are something I'm going to make you see from this passage. I've been saying that before. I've commanded the widow. Okay, now we are told that Elijah went to the widow and when he got to the widow's place, the widow was about making her last meal. And in fact, he told Elijah, I want to make this meal for me and my son where we eat and then we die. Because they were in poverty, there was no more food, nothing again in the house. But God said, I've commanded. Now, I want you to understand that. The story goes on. When he got to the place, Elijah met this woman at the outskirts of the city where she was fetching firewood to go and prepare the meal. Is that okay? And then, from the picture, we are told that Elijah demanded that you prepare the meal and give to me before you give to yourself or give to your child. Hallelujah. Now, to me, that is a man who does not have 
recognition in the natural of thinking for a widow. This is a widow who is about to die. Are you getting that? A widow is supposed to be assisted. A widow needs help. I want you to understand that. A widow is supposed to be helped. But here is a prophet coming and he said, you cook the meal, give to me first before you give to your son and to yourself. Let me first eat. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? The word of God is always contrary to the word of man. Do you understand that? Now, if you take this, you find the same principle with Jesus. When they were to pay tax, he told Peter, go. The first fish you are going to catch, open the mouth of the fish, and the mouth of the fish, that's a gold coin. Pay for me and for yourself. So, the principle is God first, you second. Did you get that? Hey, did you listen to what I said there? It is always God first. That's why I say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of that in Jabi world shall be added. Very simple. Me first. So, how that was the story. Now, if you look at the story very critically, and the Bible says, um, and the woman did exactly what Elijah, I mean, what Elijah said there. And Elijah, and Elijah finally discovered that this woman has some debt. Is that okay? To pay. And then Elijah said, okay, you get all the vessels in your house. What do you have there? He said, have a little uh, barrel of oil. He said, okay, you begin to pour the oil into all of those barrels. Remember the story. And then the woman began to pour, begin to pour, begin to pour, and find that all the barrels, even the one she borrowed, they were all filled. All the vessels became filled. Is that okay? And there was no left. Now, the next thing is, Elijah now said, okay, you go and sell and pay your debts. Did you get that? Now, this woman who was supposed to be a debtor automatically become an oil merchant. People were not coming to buy from her who was supposed to be a debtor that was going to eat and die. Now she's eating and selling. Why? Because she gave. Hallelujah. Did you get the picture? Everybody wants a man and see somebody's name and authority and power changing. Now listen to this. Everybody knew this woman to be a debtor before this season. But by reason of this encounter, she became an oil dealer. The story changed because she encountered God. The story changed from that day because she encountered God through giving. And the good thing is this. When God is asking you to give, it is for your own good. If God have not commanded, because that is what is missing, the people don't always recognize in this passage. If God have not commanded her, by implication, the commandment was done in the spirit. She was acting based on divine instruction. She didn't know what she was doing. She was just acting. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Why was she doing that? Because God wanted her to be delivered from the poverty situation that she find herself. So when God calls you to give, it's because he's interested in your life. Not just interested in your life, he's interested that you come out of poverty into prosperity. God takes pleasure in the prosperity 
of his servant. Remember this story? Amen. So the commandment that came to this woman, that's what the Bible said, the commandment of God, they are not grievous. They are not burdens. If he gives you a commandment, he wants to set you free. If he gives you a commandment, he wants to de deliver you. If he's impressing it in your heart to give, he wants to set you free from certain dimensions of life. I told you some time past, when the Bible says, give it shall be given unto you. Or, whatever the man sowed, that shall he also reap. Um, try to explain it to you. It doesn't mean when you give five naira, you're going to get five naira. Or you get one dollar, you're going to get one dollar. What it means is, the very specific thing you give, you get dimension from that. But above that, when you give, the areas of your life that is truly in fetters is what God's attacks with the blessings. This woman gave food. Amen? And she got enough finances to buy the food that she must eat. Hallelujah. It takes money to get the food. Am I right? Good. What she liked to get food was what? Money. Now she gave food. She's going to get money to buy enough food. Much more than she gave. She gave one meal, but now she's a businesswoman. So if she wants three square meal, she can eat it. Amen? And the Bible never told us how this woman ended up alive, but I'm sure she died a rich man, a rich woman. Praise the living God. Okay, so I want you to understand that. That it can cause you to break the power of poverty. Hallelujah. Now there are something I want you to recognize from this story. One, major lessons you must learn. Recognize the word of the Lord as to when he speaks. Because when the woman, when, the, when Elijah came and said, give to me. Outside of the command of God, if that woman has rejected what Elijah said, she will actually have died as well. Amen? Because she will not have acted by no means. So recognize when the Lord is speaking. Then number two, know who he is leading you to. That is the person the Father is sending you your way or sending your way. Recognize the person. I perceive strongly that this woman recognized that Elijah was the prophet of God. And he was not just a prophet of God just wondering. He was a prophet of God sent to her. So recognize the person that God is sending your way. Hallelujah. Number three. Do as that individual directs by faith. It may be difficult. But do it the way he or she instructs you. Once you recognize that this one is sent by who? By God. And is sent to me. Whatever they ask you to do, do what? Do it. You see what happened at Canaan during the, the marriage feast? And the mother said, anything he asks you to do, do what? Do it. Anything he asks you to do. It could be stupid, but do it. Now look at the two pictures. Even in the case of Jesus. Just a fair short and begin to feel all the parts. 
just keep on filling them. And there were six months there. We have to talk on that. Six is the number of men. Six pots there. Say, just keep filling them. After filling, say, draw out. It was stupid to fill pots with ordinary water when the people wanted wine. Amen? But by the time they acted in the faith of the instruction given, the water became what? Wine. And the, here is the story. How many vessels do you have in the house? I don't know. Go and borrow. And then begin to pour. As he's pouring the oil, the more she pours the oil, the more the oil comes out of the body. And this body has already been in the house before. But divinely, something has touched that symbol that its source is now God and not natural. Hallelujah. So recognize the one sent to you. Recognize the word given to you. Act by faith based on what you are asked to do. You get results. Amen? Hallelujah. Number two. Giving breaks barrenness. Barrenness can be in various forms. Not just child, but your land could be barren. Your business could be barren. Where there is no fruitfulness. Where it's not yielding. That is barrenness. Is that okay? Giving breaks barrenness. Okay. Look at the book of Second Kings, chapter 4. We won't read it. That's a long one. But write it down. Second Kings chapter 4, 8 to 17. It's the story of the Shunammite woman. The story of the Shunammite woman. Now, here we find that the Shunammite woman. Recognized Elisha the prophet and Gehazi when they were passing by, and they simply invited them to come in. In fact, the woman said, I perceive that this is the man of God. Amen. And we are told that they made for them accommodation, they put on light there for the man to read, got a table and got a bed, and they gave them food. And we are told from this picture. That when they were about to leave, Elijah felt so satisfied that he said, what can we do for this woman? It is the same thing God said to Solomon. What can I do for you? Meaning your sacrifice, he always provoke a thought in the heart of God. What shall we do for this woman? And then it's okay. Let me introduce you to the men of the city as it were. Let me give you an elevator position amongst men. Because the gift of a man will bring him before great men, not mere men. Are you sitting there with me? Let me bring you to where you belong by reason of your giving. Let me promote you. Let me introduce you, if you let me use the word, to the mayor or the king of the city. That you are somebody to be recognized or reckoned with. And the woman said, no, but I live amongst my people. And then Elisha said, but I perceive that she has no child. And he said, oh, okay, now, this time, next year, you shall have your child. Amen? And the Bible made us understand the very same time that Elijah spoke, she gave back to a baby. Is that all right? It was not through prayer and fasting that the barrenness in that family was broken. Hallelujah. It was simply through giving recognizing the man of God. Just like I said, your own barrenness may not be baby. 
It could be business barrenness. It could be academic barrenness. You are just not fruitful in certain areas of your life. Hallelujah. And so, what we are saying is, when you begin to function in this capacity, one of the things that giving does is that it breaks the power of barrenness in your life. So whether they be causes, whatever, even if assuming somebody causes you that you will not prosper, I am saying based on what the scripture says and what we know, your giving has the ability to break that power of cause upon your life. Hallelujah. No matter what, because by the time you do what you're supposed to do, and the man of God speaks the word, it overrides every cause that any man has ever placed upon your life. That cause is definitely going to be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand. Now, this is just number two. But because of time, we want to continue tomorrow from benefits of giving before we enter the dimensions of giving properly. We still have, I'm just going to give you another, let me, five points of benefits of giving. I just want to encourage you that you have to be around again tomorrow so that we'll continue from where we stop. Can we stand up and pray?